0: Hello, you're listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick discussing the EFL. The weekend that's just passed saw League One and League Two teams take part in the FA Cup first round. Some notable results there, but not too many. So we're going to focus on what was a very busy weekend in the championship. And we're also going to answer some League One and League Two general questions later on. In the podcast, George, it's hard to know where to start in the championship. I think we will begin with the newest manager in the second tier, Michael O'Neill, who was parachuted in at Stoke, took charge of the game on Saturday, having been appointed on Friday morning, which is interesting because some managers choose to take the watching brief in that same situation. And he'll be glad that he did because they left Barnsley with a 4-2 win and some really good vibes Talk to me about Michael O'Neill being the new Michael Neal. S- Michael O'Neill, <laughs> being the new Stoke manager. What you think about the appointment and any thoughts following the weekend? I really like the appointment. Um, anyone
1: who's you know got a passing interest in football can only have a pretty high opinion of Michael O'Neill without knowing anything about him I think that's how we all we all kind of approach it um, you know you can't ignore the job he's done in Northern Ireland but if you ask me to, to tell you what his style of football was or what his philosophy was apart from looking like a very nice smiley Ulsterman, um, I, I couldn't really tell you anything else but um, he obviously captured the imagination a bit with his decision I mean I said on the betting show um, and hold my hands up in being incorrect that he wouldn't be in charge of this game. Um, it was being reported at the time that he was going to sit this one out and, and, you know, have a bit of a watching brief. He chose to take um, the game and to take I that first training that. session. But what I really liked was that after the 4-2 win at Barnsley, it would have been very easy for O'Neill to give himself a pat on the back and to play on that um, on this story that was doing the rounds that he insisted that he would be in charge. But it was very, very different. He said, you know, I had basically 45 minutes with them when I just had to try and learn their names. And, you know, one step at a time, this is not the result. And I really like that because we've been saying for a long time that Stoke haven't been getting the, getting the rub of the green. And we look at, at this win and this result and this good performance. You've got Sam Klukas knock, knocking the ball in from just inside um, the opposition half. You've got a penalty a decision, which is the kind of decision that was going against Stoke quite recently. And even the, the fourth goal is a... You know, a,
0: a a a low. It's a belter. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a fantastic strike from Clucas. That again, they weren't necessarily going in, and it, it it's interesting how often this happens. It's interesting how often, you know, we talk about how Stoke would have been okay if they, if they'd. I mean, I personally think they would have been okay if they had they stuck with Jones. And there was evidence that this kind of performance and result was going to happen, but it is interesting and it's significant that. It does seem to happen when there has been a change of personnel. I'm not for one second giving Michael O'Neill any credit for Sam Lucas knocking the ball in from 45 yards. I'm not for one second giving him credit for um, winning the penalty that Lee Gregory stuck away. But the team selection, the you know the the fan engagement, I guess, on the back of this decision is all very important. And I think the way that he approached the the post match press by acknowledging a good result acknowledging the importance of the win giving credit to his players but not saying look at me and look what I did
0: is really promising so he, he appears to be a man that no one has anything bad to say about as a as a person uh, and to be honest as a manager after his spell with northern ireland i haven't Dug back into the archives to see what Breakin City fans were saying about him in 2008 or what Shamrock Rovers fans were saying about him in 2009 to 2011. And that's all we've got to go off, apart from, you know, clearly a remarkable job in dragging Northern Irish or the Northern Ireland national team up the world rankings, uh, providing them with some incredible spells uh, of, of results, a uh, of hell of a performance at Euro 2016. And look, Colin Murray, the presenter of the Quest show, who is a huge Northern Ireland football fan. He obviously loves him. And off the back of this, you know, he said, not surprised that he's not taking the credit. Um, That's the sort of man he is. And I think personality-wise, we're going to see a very different manager to Nathan Jones. Now, the difference that comes from club management and international management will will be interesting to see how that affects a manager's uh, motivational strategy, I suppose. The, The difference between having to get players up for you know, two games every two or three months compared to sometimes twice a week. Um, but what we do know is, from what we've seen in Northern Ireland, he is the character that players and modern players want to play for, want to work hard for. He has an understanding of how to set teams up uh, against different types of opposition rather than, you know, one-size-fits-all. Um, and, ama- and, and immediately... Who's fits playing for? Who's <laughs> <laughs> Fitz all? Uh, and immediately, you know... <laughs> Again, this is quite an easy thing to say in hindsight, but you look at the starting 11, you look at the shape that they're playing in, in a 4-3-3, and everything kind of fits. Everything kind of makes sense. Ryan Woods at the base of midfield, he hadn't featured since the 21st of August. Every championship fan who's followed the league over the last five years thinks that he is a quality player and has been mystified that he's not been involved. Um, for, For Ince out on the right wing, coming inside onto that left foot, surely his most effective position McLean playing left wing rather than left back or left wing back it looked like it makes a bit more sense and and we'll see over the next few weeks whether as you say George you know there was an element of just individual quality to many of the goals and a bit of luck as well so you know we'll wait until we have a bigger sample size to see exactly what sort of impact he's having on this team but for fans who haven't seen Stoke score I can barely talk I'm so excited <laughs> for fans who haven't seen Stoke score four for such a long time, I think it's three and a half, four years or so. Um, the perfect away day for for Barnsley kind of feels like you know there was there was some results in Adam Murray's caretaker reign early on that seemed like improved performances, and while not getting the wins, but picking up points maybe a little more than before, he seemed a bit resigned after this that he won't be getting the job. It seems like the appointment will come out of what we would consider left field, probably from abroad, possibly a manager that hasn't managed at championship level before. We'll see what that does to the team and whether they'll be able to keep some of their stars if they are heading back to League One. Um, But it's not a great time for for Barnsley fans and the discontent surrounding the club aimed mainly at the ownership group now uh, is interesting. Um, You know that they've come with a strategy that you and I think has plenty of merits in, in in their approach, but they seem to have missed a couple of uh, well key ways of, of ingratiating yourself with the with the fans and just doing things properly hasn't always been the right way. So Preston and Huddersfield is where we're going next because uh, although we've got Leeds who won, although we've got West Brom that won, I think we've spoken quite a lot about them in, in recent weeks and the fact that they are really becoming the cream of the crop but Preston are as well, George, and it's 31 points from 16 games. They're in second place now. Their form at the moment is sensational. And this was, a, you know, on paper, a home win against a bottom-half team in Huddersfield. But as we know, Huddersfield under Cowley, seven unbeaten before this. This is a, a statement of sorts.
1: Yeah, as I found out on Twitter, if you suggest that Huddersfield's an easy game because of their lowly league position, you'll be uh, corrected very quickly. And that's totally fair enough because they have been in fantastic form. Um as Alex Neil said after the game here, this was a, a weakened um, Preston team as well. Uh, of course, no Pearson, who's a big miss in the middle of the park. Uh, Ryan Ledson came in, who's a player that I obviously had a lot of time for when he was at Oxford. Um, and he looked from from kind of the highlights that I saw like he he did a pretty decent job in the in the middle of the park. so I had a look on social media and it seems like he's not one who uh, Preston fans are particularly keen to rely on. Um, in the future, if that that spots vacated, so that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. And tough, and
0: it, tough boots to fill, definitely. Pearson's. But it,
1: but it plays into that there's always been this this idea with Preston that the the young starting eleven is very very strong, and then because of of the financial muscle they don't have, the the maybe the bit part players aren't necessarily as capable. But this season it's felt a bit different because you've got. And Stockley, who's come into the team and, and, and finally got his first goal of the season, but made a big impact coming uh, coming off the bench a couple of weeks ago. You've got Potts as well, who they brought in from lower down the pyramid, who came off the bench here. Tom Bayliss hasn't had an impact at all yet. Jordan Story, another one that we're very keen on. Billy Bowden. It does now feel like they've got a a set of players ready to step up off the bench and to make the impact. And despite Preston fans maybe not necessarily particularly enamoured by ledson himself i'd say it's significant that pearson a player who's been so important to them out of this game and they've been able to bring someone else in who's done that job effectively enough to see them three nil up at home to a decent team And um, before obviously after Gallagher went off they they took their feet off you know they, they came off the gas a bit and conceded late on but this is another really impressive performance um huddersfield went to brentford and completely shut brentford off so for them to for preston to get the three goals is is huge a not fortune but I think Gallagher's uh, it was significant that the, the deadlock was broken by Gallagher's free kick which came off the bar and, and rebounded through to Stockley Um, you feel like that's a goal that, that Danny Cowley and their you know his his tactical wisdom in order to stop teams from creating chances was basically it's impossible to prevent
0: well there's still suggestions that Preston are running a little bit hot and sometimes that changes quickly and sometimes it stays for a little bit longer we know that they're Conversion rate is exceptionally high, so high that for it to continue like this is unlikely. They've also had an abnormal amount of penalties. You can't argue with most of them, to be honest. It's not like, you know, they're not doing anything special. There's no conspiracy. They're they're just winning penalties that probably won't continue to the same degree. Um, But at the same time, you know, I I really liked the interview with Alex Neal on the Quest show with Colin, where he spoke about... It was the sort of insight that managers don't often give in, in post-match interviews. So a credit to the Quest team, I guess, for getting it out of him. But he talked about how, you know, to to take Preston from where they were, which was established championship team, you know, always punching above their weight budget-wise, to genuine promotion contender, playoff chaser, automatic promotion chaser. He, he was saying you have to become more expansive. You basically have to become a better attacking team and you can't just play you know, defense first, hit on the counter, or maybe super direct like a Cardiff who, who who have succeeded with that in the past, but are struggling a bit now. He was basically saying last season, I thought, right, we've got to try to be more expansive. And it was too soon and it didn't quite work. And we suffered because the balance wasn't right. But again, with another year at the helm, he's managing to get this team into this fantastic side that just plays well across the whole park. Their defense looks really, really solid. Bauer... And Davies have looked fantastic, Um, but their midfield does everything both ways defensively. But so many goals from that midfield this season. And up front, well, we've talked about it so many times that that selection of players, Barkhazen, Maguire, Stockley, who are, you know, not the most fashionable attacking players in the championship, but who are playing to their strengths. Barkhazen's pace and directness, Stockley's target man ability. Um, Maguire's pace and ability to to, to, to ghost inside defenders uh, and it's very very notable so I found that was a, an interesting point from Neil trying to explain why they they think it's important to become more expansive and, and long may it continue for North End fans what about Reading uh, George they beat Luton 3-0 I must admit a lot of the reaction to this game even from Reading fans who tweeted us on Sunday about this was I can't believe how bad Luton are or were now, it's, it's accepted that this was Luton's worst performance of the season. So, Reading have seen them at their worst. But Luton fans are really concerned. Uh, at the same time, Mark Bowen keeps on rolling. Uh, and Reading <laughs> are now basically at a point where they look like they've already raised themselves above a, a relegation scrap and, and might be easing themselves into being a lovely mid-table side.
1: Yeah, we talk a lot about, about game state and how you have to look at all stats around games with a... With with the context of what's um been going on in the game. So for for this game you've got Reading, the home team, tune it up at home after 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 thirty minutes. So you'd expect Luton uh, you know, some uh, a team who've who've caused other others' issues this season, who are aware this is a a match between two teams who at the moment are towards the bottom end of the table. You'd expect them to come out and give themselves at least a chance of getting back into the game. But they didn't do that at all. I mean they had they had four shots in the game, which is a miserly total in any match, let alone when you are two 0 down. Um, and if I told you that their fourth shot came in the twenty-third minute, um, so they didn't have a shot from the twenty-third minute through to the end. So you're two 0 down away from home. You've the, the match is effectively lost, and you are incapable of even fashioning a goal-scoring opportunity of any sort, even a forty-yard drive. That is that's concerning, George. Really concerning. It says a lot about. The tactical analysis of Graham Jones that he's incapable of making changes in order to get his team back into it. It says a lot about the players, I think, as well that they couldn't take some kind of initiative in order to change what was going on on the pitch. Um, it probably says a fair bit about Reading, where you have to give them some credit for, for for stopping it. And and this is already looking like a very very different team under Mark Bowen. Um, but in terms of a uh, you know a, a slide, you know a moment of the season that suggest that Luton have gone from being a team who we expect to be bottom half, but you know could have something about them in order to get away from that. This is, seems to be the match that really shows that the writing's on the wall and that Graham Jones has to improve Luton very, very quickly or they're going to be struggling right down the bottom of the table. Um, it's hard to see anything else now and, and it feels like the relationship between the fans and the manager on the back of this game is also starting to change.
0: Omar Richards at left wing back for Reading, getting a lot of uh, praise after this performance. He's um, been involved in the England under-21 squads this season, so catching the eye of, of people at national level, albeit in a position where England are, are fairly weak in, in the youth game, that's for sure, um, but looked really good going forward, which is so important when you play in a system with wing-backs. Uh, and then, of course, it's all about Ajaria scoring a fantastic individual goal, albeit with a, a kind deflection, but you know, he's playing in, in, in a way that puts him very, very close to people like Iberi Easy, who we bang on about a lot. The fact that his team have struggled so far this season or the first two months of the season means maybe he wasn't getting as much praise, as much focus. But in terms of the way he's able to carry the ball through midfield, beating players, uh, players basically can't get near him. Uh, And it makes such a big difference for this team. But Swift gives them something different in midfield. And it's notable that, again, This Reading side and and Game State, of course, plays into it. They had less possession, just 44%. That's becoming a bit of a theme under Bowen. But the person who had the most of the ball for them when they did have it was Swift. So when they have the ball, they're getting their best creator on it. Uh, and he's doing the business to assist for Swift in this game. So great times for Reading. No doubt they've got some more tricky fixtures coming up than this one, uh, but good to see McCleary scoring as well, uh, training with the, the youth team, along with Sam Baldock, you know, just a few months ago under Jose Gomch, and now contributing to to a winning Reading team.
1: Seems like that youth coach must be an absolute, you know, <laughs> great he's kept them in great shape. Well, they've
0: got a, f- a famed uh, youth academy, don't they, they Reading, go, in, yeah. in the last 10, 20 years or so. But it does make you wonder, I-, I understand that, you know, it, football is not simple, and within clubs and within dressing rooms, um, especially managing characters and trying to keep um, a good atmosphere, you have to make some decisions which might look well, which are just difficult and and can cause problems. But it's remarkable to think that two guys who were basically on the scrap heap that they two could. Guy. Two guy who they who they wanted to get rid of in the summer, two guy bulldog and mccleary uh, and and Bulldock and McCleary now contributing to a winning team, and you wonder how you get yourself in that situation as a manager where you just write them off completely. Um, Birmingham's goalkeeper situation over the last few years is similar with stockdale and and lee camp and you just wonder how you get yourself into situations like that to the clear detriment of your of your performance
1: but it's a funny one with reading because. You know, There's no question that, that especially Baldock's return to the team has been a significant one in terms of their uptick in form. But was Jose Gomes not right to try and improve those areas? It, it strikes me that is, whilst Baldock is important to this turnaround and important to them picking up points now, it's hardly like it's not going to be very long until they try and replace him again, is it? No, that's true. Um, he's not someone who is going to be playing up top for Reading as they try and get themselves back into the Premier League. Come January, despite his good goal his good goal scoring record, now fans are going to want them to bring in a striker to replace him. Mm. So, it's very easy to to laud Mark Bowen's decision to recall these guys in favour of people that were being played there before. But at the same time, no one was complaining when they were being replaced, and they're going to be replaced again fairly soon as well. So let's not. I mean, Bowen deserves credit for it, no doubt about that. But it's not some some genius move that's going to um, you know catapult them towards the top end.
0: If we're concerned about Luton, I think we're probably starting to get more and more concerned about Wigan as well. Wigan lost 3-0 at home to Brentford on the weekend. Uh, when we've spoken about Wigan for the last 18 months, you talk about two different teams. You talk about Wigan at home, nigh on in, unbeatable, uh, and Wigan away from home who can't beat anyone whatsoever. Uh, but in losing their last two games at home, albeit two decent teams, Swansea and Brentford, you start to have that thing where you say, look, either the away form gets better uh, and they move up the table or the home form might get worse, in which case they're barely going to pick up any points. Well, uh, at at the current rate, it's looking really, really concerning. And if you look down the bottom, George, Stoker, second bottom, having just changed their manager, it seems unlikely that they will continue to be rubbish. Huddersfield have moved away or are moving away from that conversation. The amount of teams that you think look like they're in for a real scrap is diminishing but Wigan is certainly one of them
1: and it's it's interesting as well I mean you mentioned how we talk about the home and away Jacqueline Hyde nature of Wigan but it's quite funny how the, the two home defeats that have ended that trend have come against Swansea and Brentford two teams who we so you know have always spoken about as being great teams at home whereas this season I mean, I'd assume they're two of the
0: Swansea eight games, four wins, four draws, no defeats away from home. Brentford nine games, five wins and four defeats. Um, second and fourth in the away league. There you table.
1: go. I mean, who'd have thought that two teams who were so reliant previously on, on their home form? Um, but for Wigan, I mean, again, this is a a low-margin game. Um, the shot count was was seven five to Brentford. Um, that doesn't take away the the level of dominance that Brentford still um showed over over Wigan. Um, another fantastic goal from Jada Silva, who's making a bit of a name for himself with that left foot. Um, but uh, it, this is a game that kind of went by the form book, I guess. You've got one team who are going to be struggling this season, lacking form and confidence, and you've got another who are on, on the ascendancy. Um, and the golf in class, the golf in quality between the two teams was, was pretty evident for all to see, even if not in, uh, in, in chances created. Um, a pretty horrific miss for Norgaard for the opening goal. Mm. Um, his blushes with with, with Bomo getting the uh, getting on the score sheet, but um, they're, they're so poor. You could see Brentford, you know, bouncing back from from the disappointment against Huddersfield because mm. in the past this could be a game which they wouldn't have approached particularly confidently after their their good run of form coming to an end. So um, a, a big a big result for Thomas Frank.
0: And if they can maintain this type of away performance and start taking their chances a bit better at home and that's a big if of course Um, but in the same way that Leeds a few weeks ago were were dominating games at home but you know not getting the results Brentford are, are, are a bit like that at Griffin Park as well if that can change for the better then we're looking at a team probably one of the most likely teams to start moving up towards the top end of the table from a Wigan point of view it's just you know they played well against Swansea last weekend not amazingly but you know, in relation to how they'd played for the majority of the season so far. But against Bees, as you say, just so little ability to, to hurt teams. Um, Kiefer Moore is is struggling, to be quite honest. He's not having much created for him, and he's not creating much on his own. I don't think the midfield of Morsi, McLeod and, and Williams, who are all tidy enough, but I don't think they're progressing the ball uh, into the final third. I don't think they're giving their attackers much to feed off really. Uh, and at the back, you've got Kipre and Dunkley who are probably their biggest goal threat in the opposition box from set pieces, but who really struggle to maintain concentration and defensive positioning uh, to, to keep the opposition at bay. So big concerns for Wigan uh, at the moment. And well, this Bees away form is very welcome for, for Bees fans who have been travelling away from home for a few years and, and seeing their, well, seeing two different teams basically to what they've seen at uh, at Griffin Park. Josh De Silva showing that his ability to pick out the top corner from the edge of the box with that left foot is uh, it's pretty regular now. I think it's potentially three or four goals from outside the box already this season. Um, absolute unerring ability to find that top corner. Forrest and Derby, George, this was a, a big, big game. It probably, in the end, wasn't the most... Well, it was exciting because of all the tension and because of the atmosphere... It wasn't the highest quality game, I think it's fair to say. Um, Paul Taylor of The Athletic, who covers Nottingham Forest for The Athletic, our partners, uh, wrote about this game. Uh, It was Sabri Lamucci's birthday uh, and he said afterwards, I'll never forget this birthday. Thanks, Graben, for your present. Forest getting the win here and I suppose Lamucci and Graben, as in Paul's piece, excellent piece on The Athletic, the the two things to touch on, Forest-wise. Lamucci continuing to uh, ingratiate himself with the Forest fans, it's fair to say, and winning two Derby games doesn't hurt.
1: Yeah, I I think Paul's piece this week is a very interesting insight into almost the most impressive thing about Lamucci's reign so far. We've spoken a lot about how the victories aren't necessarily particularly convincing ones this season. We've spoken about how they're not necessarily a team who exert their quality dominance in a way that we were just talking about with with Brentford at Wigan. But he has cultivated a club who, I mean, for what, five years? Has been pretty much sleepwalking in the in the championship without much to cheer about. With some, you know, pre-season optimism last season which was not um well founded at all. And he's galvanized the club into something that is looking like it might be on the brink of, of something very special despite there is obviously evidence on the pitch because they're picking up an, a, a number of points and they're towards the top end of the table. But I wouldn't say it necessarily tallies with what we're seeing on the pitch, but he deserves huge credit for it. And, and victories at home to Derby like this are only going to strengthen that. And I think for a long time, I mean, as I mentioned, because there's been a, a malaise at, at Nottingham Forest, to see a team who are so working, who, you know, maybe the nature of the games in that they are so tight and Forest continue To come out on top, if you think if you're if you're a fan and you're going to games every week, and you are consistently trying to protect leads and doing so, it's it's no surprise that leads to a a sense of satisfaction that is that is crucial. So you know, as Paul says, he he talks about. I mean, Graben in the piece, I should say, talks about you know the counter attacking nature we see now in the uh, in the championship. Most teams look to try and play a more possession-based style of football. I think the, the the other side of the coin to that is there probably is a gap for teams who um, could to be coached in a way to be happy to play against those teams. Uh, I think we've seen it, you know, you look at in the past couple of seasons, Neil Harris and Millwall have done it very, very very well at home for a long time, being happy to, to concede possession, happy to sit deep in their own half and play on the counter. And it looks like Lamucci is doing it with a set of players who are better than those we normally see doing it and therefore they're getting results. So... Um, yeah, that little insight into the into the. I mean, it's clear to read in the athletic article from Paul how excited the fan base are and how excited Lamucci is, and he's doing nothing to try and downplay their ambitions for the for the campaign ahead. I'm not, cons- you know, convinced myself they have the quality needed to get right up there into the into the automatic promotion battle, but you know they're going about their business, proving people wrong at the moment. So uh, I guess they wouldn't be too bothered to hear me say that.
0: You can't blame the Forest fans for feeling maybe an extra amount of love for a manager, given the way in which they have churned through various managers. And they tried everything really, haven't they? Um, Old school club legend managers, uh, foreign managers, uh, defensive managers, attacking managers, and nothing's really worked, as you've said. In the last well five ten years or so, so I can forgive them a bit of extra love. Uh, Paul Taylor was writing it was a love affair that had begun to flower before secure uh, Forest had secured victory, um, but this might have turned it from a one night stand into a relationship with a potential keeper. Uh, for Lamucci, the perfect way to celebrate his 48th birthday. For Forest fans, the head coach was delivering um, the present. So all very good vibes out of Forest at the moment. It should be said that. You know, they're probably lucky not to be behind in this game. Derby, I would say, created um, one or two very good chances. And Forrest, really, probably just the one. The goal from Graben and Graben showing himself to be one of the best strikers in the league at the moment. His conversion rate is very, very high. And he writes about it himself in this piece. Or he talks to Paul Taylor and says... You know, when we get chances, it's down to me to put them away. And you can kinda of see the double meaning in that where he's obviously thriving, but he understands that maybe they're not creating loads and loads and his conversion rate needs to be high for them to continue edging these these tight games. Again, not sure they played that well, but they are a team that so far have come out of, of tight games in general, with three points or with one point the majority of the time, and that's uh that's taking them far. They can go level with Leeds and Preston if they win their game in hand. So all very well there for Derby. That piece from Paul Taylor and much more across the EFL and across world football, the Premier League as well. A fantastic array of writers on the Athletic website. If you want to check it out, you can get a free trial from us that is if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash ntt20 there's a 30-day free trial and offer uh, and then a reduced price going forward it's about the price of a coffee per month for all sorts of good football writing two more derbies to touch on quickly here George in the championship Cardiff nil Bristol City one and Millwall two Charlton one I'm going to leave it up to you to tell me which one of those you'd like to talk about first
1: (laughs) Millwall Charlton um, I think it was uh, as you'd expect probably Millwall Charlton to be. It was pretty bad tempered. Um, I think Lee Boyer did a fair bit to uh, to stoke the fire pre-match. Um, you know, proper Charlton lad. A good good stat on the highlight show saying that he actually scored in Charlton's last win um, at the Den 23 years ago. And his post-match interview was something to behold because he looked livid. Um, trying to keep his temper in check in a game that he felt they deserved to win and ended up losing. Um, it was a a game of not very many chances um, of three goals. Uh, a game that Bartosz Bielkowski, um deserves huge credit for. Um, one fairly ropey save on his own line <laughs> after a mistake, but still did very well to clear it off. And then a couple of saves in the second half that kept his team in it after Leko had, had got them level. Um, and... I mean, I'm, it's a difficult one, the Matt, the Matt Smith header. The winner came from a from a corner in the 91st minute. Of course, uh, Matt Smith um, coming off the bench to get that winner and absolutely flooring Naby Saar in the process. Two guys who are, you know, well over six foot four going up against each other for a header. And Saar just not really jumping for it and and mm. and, and, uh, and Smith coming through the back of him to head home. On first glance, I thought it looked like a foul. On second glance, Sar makes no attempt to play the ball, so you have to assume that it, it is a fair goal.
0: Quite ropey for their first goal as well. Sar, not his best game defensively.
1: Although he did get an assist, you know, which, I'd rather which doesn't he, happen too
0: often. I'd rather he <laughs> left the assist to others and, yeah, uh, no, no, I, and, I and it, marked his man a I bit agree. better.
1: I agree. I mean, it feels like this result's probably been coming for Charlton for um, a while. Not that they don't deserve to be where they are, but they have... Come out on top of some of some pretty tight games already this season, and got points in games they maybe didn't deserve to get points from. So um, I'm sure that Lee Boyer will, in the cold light of day, look back at this as being a bit of a blow, but uh, but one that he can he can get over quite quickly. Um, Gary Roberts' fantastic start to life at Millwall continues. No, um, you know the the decision to part company with Neil Harris for Millwall doesn't look like a disastrous one at all. It looks like one that may save their Championship status at the moment. Um, and he's a manager who has got a team who really struggled for goals, especially from open play. Um, back getting goals now, and um, I don't think there are many people at the Den on on Saturday who'd uh, who'd make the trade to switch back. So that's good news for for Gary.
0: Yeah, Millwall level on points now with Derby and Cardiff, and just one point behind Charlton, Hull, and Birmingham. So it's interesting how the the narratives that maybe sometimes we push. Sometimes you take a look at the league table and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, really not much Definitely. between these teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bristol City's games, talk about tight games. They are always tight games at the moment. Bristol City, never getting dominated, but basically never dominating a game. Uh, but doing very well not to lose games. They've just lost two this season, one uh, against Leeds on opening weekend, and then they chucked one against Luton a couple of weeks ago. But otherwise, seven wins and seven draws. They got the win away at Cardiff on Sunday. This was another really tight game. Uh, I don't mean to be rude here, but I haven't seen a Cardiff or a Bristol City game recently where I've thought, I have to watch these teams when they're live on TV. Um, Bristol City have had a few on the telly and we've been to one as well at at Brentford. Um, They are not incredible spectacles, but they are an impressive team tactically. uh, And the way that they got this win, courtesy of a Josh Brownhill howitzer, uh, was very, very impressive. They move into the playoff places uh, and there's still that feeling that could there be more to come from this Bristol City team when they get a couple more players back from injury? Uh, If they can strengthen up front in January, can they become a team that scores a a few more goals? They've got Forrest at home after the international break and that'll be a really interesting barometer of both teams. Forrest, we know to be a good team away from home and and Bristol City arguably play their best stuff away from Ashton Gate. So that'll be a, a good test for both sides to see if either of them are ready to kick on towards the top, apologies to, to West Brom, Leeds, and Fulham fans. We're going to have to move on now. You all got narrow wins in in a different sort of circumstances. George, you, you've got your hand up.
1: Well, I just want to say, for balance' sake, given that um, you know Leeds are on a bit of a roll again, and Patrick Bamford has undergone um, a tricky time. It's been it's been stormy weather on Bamford Island. It's fair to say for the been last. Fine, few mate, weeks. It's been fine, mate. Actually, thanks very much. Absolutely disgraceful been disgusting weather there um but you could see the relief um when he when he got the goal the, the penalty the opening goal but just credit for him for the assist uh for Jack Harrison because um you know Marcelo Bielsa has un, has had to endure some criticism from from neutrals and Leeds fans for his views that Bamford what Bamford Bamford brings to the team beyond goals is very important to them and um his quality as a footballer was never more evident than plucking a ball out the air from Calvin Phillips over his shoulder and then very quickly seeing the seeing the pass, the layoff to um, to Jack Harrison um, and that's the kind of quality that, that wins you games of football at this level. so credit to him.
0: Someone tweeted to say, "Great to be back on Bamford Island and I thought to myself hold on once you leave mate you, that's you're it. not coming back on it's, 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 it's you
1: Patrick and Marcelo that's it
0: exactly no one's allowed back on the island we, we, we're having a great time thank you very much and we're enjoying well, all
1: the I just ex- did was basically a postcard yeah. sent there being like
0: well done lads <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> glad to see the weather's cleared up wish you were here Um, well done to Leeds well done to West Brom clearly just becoming one of the top top teams in the division uh, and seemingly just getting a little bit better each week as well which is concerning for the rest of the league um, Sawyer's suspended for that game after the international break it'll be interesting to see how they approach a game without him whether they might have to to switch up the style a little bit with uh, with his incredible ability lacking in the center of the park S- uh, and slightly alarming
1: to see still though Kamel Kuzitsky being played through one on one I mean, with with basically no back forward. Mm. And, you know, you think that that, the clean sheet on the basis of play, Jared Bowen also scoring a disallowed goal, you'd think that probably this isn't going to be the first of loads of clean sheets on on the way the the game went. No. Um, It's important to get one under their their belt.
0: Still not one of the better defensive teams we've seen, but doing enough at the moment. And Fulham beating Birmingham 1-0. This felt like a big win for Scott Parker, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Question marks over him. Uh, and his stewardship, I suppose, of Fulham after a 3-0 home defeat to, to Hull. I wrote in our odds checker piece on the weekend that I think playing away at the moment is probably suiting Fulham. Teams will give them a little bit more space. Teams generally with a bit more intent, attacking intent, uh, when they play in front of their home team. And, and Fulham able to maybe exploit that when they get the ball uh, without the onus on them having to break down teams that are deep. And Mitrovic enjoyed this one. Knockout a bit more lively than usual. Uh, they didn't miss Kearney too much. Uh, and they managed to keep a clean sheet against the sort of team in Birmingham who I think can cause a team like Fulham problems. So lots of positives there for Fulham, but with them, well, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling difficult to give them too much praise week to week because they keep chucking in the the odd stinker as well. They've been an inconsistent team, and and they need to pick up more wins like that. Otherwise, the, the top teams are going to leave them behind. In the FA Cup, Georgia, it's kind of a tricky one. The first round for EFL teams, League One, and League Two teams, for whom it's kind of only really notable if you get knocked out by a non-league team. That's like the news in this round. So uh, that did happen to three teams. Southend losing to Dover, Leighton Orient losing to Malden and Tiptree, uh, and Macclesfield losing to Kingstonian. The Macclesfield contracted senior players uh, boycotting this game, refusing to play um, completely understandably after repeated failure to, be, to, to paying them on time. Uh, It's a situation that has been developing for a while now and doesn't seem to be heading for any improvement. Uh, There are definitely a few interested parties who have expressed interest in taking over the club if the current ownership can't sustain it and maintain it and look after it. And that's something we would encourage. Hopefully the EFL, after essentially having an independent report, say that they, they did make some mistakes in the Berry situation. Hopefully they will be proactive in making sure that they get in front of this problem with Macclesfield. Um, Kingstonian, a club relatively close to our hearts in non-league. A couple of our mates, big fans of K's and enjoyed a day out in Macclesfield and they'll be in the second round. But for Southend and Orient, it's never a good look losing to a non-league team. For Southend fans, 95% of them on Twitter today voting yes to the question, is this the worst Southend team you've ever seen? Uh, And for Leighton Orient fans... Uh, the first win that Carl Fletcher got when he first joined, well, I don't think he'd even taken charge, now seems quite a long way away. Huge question marks over him already.
1: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll start. You've asked me three questions at once there. So I'll yes. start at, at Macclesfield. Um, and just, you know, we didn't talk much about Bolton and Berry when they were in this stage of crisis. We kind of thought that maybe we'd leave it to those who understood a bit more than us. And I've been a bit surprised and a bit dismayed by how little um, concern the Macclesfield players' stance to, to Sunday's game has got nationally. Um, given how much talk and noise there's been about preventing what's happened at Bury to happen again, um, I'd have thought that a, a team taking pretty much unprecedented measures to effectively throw their own team out of the FA Cup in order to protest and draw attention to what's going on at their club would have achieved more national interest, would have trigger at least the conversation I'm seeing very little about it it's a footnote in the game whether you're watching the highlights whether you're reading reports online there seems to be very little conversation around it which I find very very surprising and I think it's probably something that you and I need to talk about to see you know if there's anything that we can do to try and light on what's going on because it's essential that we don't get to a position again where you know we're looking at another team going down the route of possibly going out of business um, so uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on what's going on, but um, unpaid wages has been an issue at the club now for, for many, many months, basically since their promotion back to into the EFL. And thankfully, um, they seem to be fairly effective on the pitch when their first team's out. But as we know with Bury, um, that doesn't count for anything really. Um, and I'm sure that a, a cup run um, would have been pretty handy to um to the club itself as well. So fingers crossed that, that that gets resolved, but as I say it's something that I want to look into and any insight people can give to us about what's going on there and you know how we could even help would be very very useful and fingers crossed there's a resolution soon. Uh, but back to the football stuff and I mean with South End it's almost impossible for me to understand how they're so bad. Um cuz you look at their team and although there are I mean bizarrely their best players almost seem to be the ones at times that um that you wouldn't expect to be. Um because you look at the squad, theres a, there's enough EFL experience and enough you know, you think EFL quality in the squad itself to to deter themselves from from a, a relegation scrap in some way. But they are not just in a relegation scrap, they are like incapable of doing anything. Um and it's it's very hard to know where Sol Campbell can start in order to to improve this because Defensively, they're very poor. They create very little going forward. When I saw them a couple of weeks ago against Tranmere, they looked like there were green shoots there. But I mean, it, there was no surprise at all to see Dover coming out on top against them, and that is a damning indictment of what's going on there. So, um, you know, I, I still can't believe that my Sunderland minus one tip on the betting show was a loser the other day. But uh, but uh, it's impossible to see how they're going to improve. And you know, games coming up, um, they go to. That they haven't got a league game for a couple of weeks now. And um Sol Campbell has to sort something out on the training ground because they look they look appalling. He seemed to think there was some there were some signs of life against Dover, but um not that I saw. And um, for Late Orient, I think it's too early to, to really um stick the knife into to Carl Fletcher. Um I, I have no doubt that he'll be given a lot of time at Leighton Orient as well. Um a difficult position, a difficult situation to come into um after Justin Edinburgh's passing in the summer. Um, thankfully, they've had a steady enough start to this campaign that will see them safe, I'd have thought, for the rest of the season, unless things go terribly wrong, given there's only one relegation spot. Um, so I'm sure he'll be given the time to put his own stamp on this team. Um, and I guess in some ways, being knocked out of the FA Cup at this stage, um, whilst embarrassing, probably isn't the worst thing for their
0: season. I need Leighton Orient fans listening to get in touch at NTT20pod on Twitter. When I looked at the reaction, some of the tweets that I've seen from Orient fans uh, after the weekend, and it's very, very possible that I am seeing a section of slightly reactive um, responses and reactive sentiments, but I cannot believe the 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 set the phrases being chucked at, at Carl Fletcher and at this appointment. You know, some of the opinions that have already been formed after less than half a dozen games in charge, I simply cannot get my head around. So I want to know if there's something I'm missing because clearly I'm not watching Leighton Orient games as closely as the fans. How can you have such a strong opinion about a manager being clueless and out of his depth after that few games in charge? What's he been doing that makes you say that? And I'd be interested to know if there's any things that you can tell me where I'll go, okay, fair enough, that is very, very concerning. So please get in touch at NTT20pod. Um, some good results for EFL teams, some cup sets, um, and I don't say that with much excitement because I think League 2 beating League 1 is, uh, it's it's stretching cup set, I think we can all agree, um, but Crew got a, a brilliant win against Accrington. Bizarre circumstance here in which two match officials got injured, which meant that At halftime, the game was basically paused while they tried to find someone to take over Um, without being able to find anyone suitable. I think there was a fan of each team that, that put themselves forward and both managers decided they didn't want that. So it was decided, and this is within the EFL rules or the FA Cup's rules, that they could continue with just one assistant, Uh, referee uh, one linesman and it was decided on the toss of a coin which side he would officiate on now if you're the defense or no if you're a striker playing in the half where there isn't an assistant manager that's the most exciting 45 minutes of your life isn't it you're making a run just a tiny bit earlier just on the off chance or do you reckon the ref would be more officious do you reckon he would Stop surely, things.
1: Surely the um, benefit of the doubt goes th- to the defensive team. I think like so. If it's marginal, you just you just blow.
0: Yeah. Anyway, done. it was by all accounts, complete carnage. The game didn't finish till about six o'clock. I was a
1: bit gutted he didn't have to run the whole line. Which I thought was a good <laughs> <fair> the <time. laughs> Can you imagine?
0: <laughs> um, Portvale going to MK Dons and winning. Plymouth going to Bolton and winning. We're going to give credit to those two teams for impressive away wins. Just got a few League One and League Two questions, George. So we'll pick a couple that we think are most interesting, most pertinent, and with which we have the the best insight on. I'm going to start with Ollie Walker, League One Legend. Uh, he asked us, are South End the worst League one side ever? any contenders in recent memory? Uh, in memory, no. And going through the previous league tables from the last seven or eight years, Probably not. I mean, they probably are the uh, the, the worst I team. I think
1: ever. I'm right in saying that Oxford's team in 2001-2002 is the lowest points total ever in League One under Dave Kemp. Is that
0: right? Okay, well, that is further <laughs> back than I was willing to go. Um, you've got Crew who went down with 34 points uh, a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> Southend currently on such a horrendous run such a horrendous start to the season that I think they're on for about 20 points if they continue as they go maybe even fewer so they've got a lot of work to do they are the worst league one side I can remember put it that way Um, the amount of goals that they've conceded uh, and just how clueless they look on the pitch at pretty much all times makes me think that they are the worst league one side ever Um, out of the other questions George is there anything that you really wanted to answer you felt Duty bound to answer.
1: Yeah, but I don't know who asked it. You haven't said anything, uh, Darryl Clark.
0: Right. So we had a couple of a couple of nods to talk about Darryl Clark, which I think is fair because Walsall are on an absolute stinker of a run.
1: Oh 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 one. Oxford got twenty seven points from forty six games. Wow. There you go.
0: South. That could be under threat from End. And um, we had a couple of questions about Daryl uh, uh, Clark at Walsall. One was Peter Taylor who asks, will Walsall go down again? And then a couple of Walsall fans, including Matt Vale, asking us to discuss, basically, should he be sacked? Should they move away from Daryl Clark? Some of his comments about his squad and his players have been pretty strong and haven't had the desired effect. Six defeats in a row at the moment. What are your thoughts on that situation?
1: I think he definitely deserves time and circumstances this season. I've just mentioned it about Leith Norian means that Warsaw are not going to get relegated this season that is impossible um, there's one relegation spot it's not going to be Warsaw. if it if it gets to the stage where it could be then that's where you pull the trigger because in, in Daryl Clark you've got a manager who has achieved success that you do not achieve through luck you don't get promoted out of the out of the National League through luck you don't get promoted then into League One very quickly afterwards through luck you don't until he was sat the season before, make Bristol Rovers into a more than capable League One team through luck. He's a guy who's proven that given time, he will build a good squad who will punch above their weight. Walsall have been on a slippery slope for a long time and have been, since Dean Smith um, left the club, have been getting three managers very, very quickly indeed. And none of them um, have had the pedigree and the experience that Daryl Clark has got. So... Uh, it's a no-brainer for me. Um, if Daryl Clark thinks it's the players, I know that he brought in a host of new players in the summer and it's the same players that he brought in who he's chucking under the bus. But if he is convinced it's the players and you have to make do with either keeping the same players under a new manager or keeping Daryl Clark and, and looking to turn over again, it, I think it has to be Clark. Um, I know that there's very little evidence on the pitch to suggest it's getting better. I have seen that the expected goal trends in the last couple of weeks have improved. So some signs there that, that it might be improving. Um, get to January. He's he's obviously a very passionate guy. He's not a guy who's used to, to to things not going his way. It's been a very difficult year to eighteen months for him. But I I have I I don't think he's become a bad manager. Very very you know overnight effectively. Um, and I think for Warsaw, you know, uh, sacking Clark will be just another failure. Um, you know, the appointment of a new manager will come with its own questions and its own uh, issues I, I just think that it's it's league two's a strange league this season you're not going to go down see where you are in August when you've got Clark's new squad and here's time with the players currently that he wants to keep and I'm sure you'll be in a much better position
0: I think I agree with all of that one of the concerns is and it is still very early days that a lot of the players that he brought in to mm be a part of a team in his image, have performed really, really poorly. Um, And if you look back at his record with transfers at Bristol Rovers, that was a a bit of a point of concern for some fans as well. Obviously did fantastically with a few attacking players in particular, like Billy Bowden, um, and was able to make money for the club through the transfer market. But um, it was a core of players that were with them the whole way through. And when... They needed to adapt and to evolve in the way that Alex Neal might have talked about, like we spoke about earlier. They were found wanting as a club, I think it's fair to say, in the transfer market.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the top four or five in League Two at the moment, you have um, Mark Cooper at Forest Green. That first season back in League Two was very underwhelming for a team who spent a lot of money. You've got Gary Bowyer at Bradford, who, you know, albeit took over a club already destined for relegation, had a six months there. Where they got relegated, where they showed very little. Richie Wellens at Swindon, the first six months of his tenure at Swindon last season, they you know, they were fine. They did okay, nothing more. David Artel at crew, another manager who was given time after a pretty insignificant first six months or so. Matt Taylor, again, did a good job taking over from Paul Tisdale, didn't finish in the playoffs, did okay. I mean, these are guys I know that Walsh are currently twenty second, and I know that it's poor and, and that the ambitions were much, much higher. But it's rare to get someone in at this level who'll come in and do a good job straight away, and you know you're a few wins away from mid-table. I, um, yeah, I mean I, I'm I know that a lot of fans, given the run of form at the moment, are concerned about relegation. I just it will not happen. Um, I'd be I'd be amazed if it did.
0: It feels a long way off now, but ultimately in conclusion, I think we both believe that he's the sort of manager that can go on quite good runs with his teams, that there could be a run not too far off. Again, I know the performances aren't necessarily hinting at that. And he's the sort of manager that when his teams do go on good runs, he's going to get a lot of plaudits and the fans will hopefully be praising him for for what he's doing. So I think what's interesting is that you said at the beginning of of your answer, George, that they're not going to get relegated to non-league, that that's, although they're in 22nd at the moment, with only one relegation spot, probably not a threat. I guess what I'm wondering is what makes you say that when they've been very, very poor? Is it to do with Morecambe? Because there was a few fans I saw saying, well, probably Morecambe. They look really, really poor. But Morecambe, segue, Derek Adams, the new manager. <laughs> Matt Seege, who's a Morecambe fan, wants to know what to expect from Derek Adams. They've had the same manager for so long in Jim Bentley. It's going to be a tough act to follow almost sort of on a personal level. Derek Adams... On a personal level, not always a man that rubs people up the right way.
1: Yeah, I mean the reason isn't specifically because of Morecambe. Um, there are a few teams down there who I think are much worse than Warsaw, and Warsaw are on the back of a losing run which will pretty soon come to an end. But on, on Adams, there are I mean there are parallels with, with Clark where it was hard to understand how, you know, the drop off um, he oversaw at Plymouth was was pretty stark I and mean, he was a manager who we saw as a safe pair of hands at worst at Plymouth it took him a while to get Plymouth promoted um, but they were always very competent and very capable under him they started off a season in League One very very poorly and looked destined for relegation before going on some extraordinary run which nearly got them into the playoffs and then started last season in the same vein and, and looked very poor again but he's he's a guy who uh, whose career, I guess, is, is under threat in the same way we're seeing Clark's now. If Clark were to get sacked from Warsaw, he would very much struggle to get a job um, of which he thinks he's worthy of. It feels like Adam's already taken one on here that he probably feels is a little bit beneath him, but an opportunity to prove himself going forward. And it's so important to his career that he gets this right. Uh, he comes into a club with, you know, the only ambition, the only possible ambition can be to, 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 to stay up. And with one relegation spot, it wouldn't take much to get them up. His abrasive character, I think, will fit in quite well there. The siege mentality um, should fit in very nicely. His relationship with Kevin Ellison will be interesting to watch because they're two guys who I can't imagine will mince their words if things aren't going too well. And I'm pretty sure that Ellison isn't someone that you'd want to lose in the dressing room. So that could be an interesting thing to watch out for. But I think it's a good appointment. I think it's not an upgrade on on, uh, Bentley. But if you'd offered... If you would told me before Bentley was going to leave that this would be the replacement, I'd have said, yeah, why not? Roll the dice. Um, so, again, I keep saying it about every team. Tricky lead to get relegated from. An interesting move for Adams and one that he needs to
0: nail. One question that came from Ozzy Seagull. Uh, I wonder what noise an Aussie Seagull makes. Didn't we see that in uh, Finding Nemo? Mine? 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 He asked which League One and League Two player will be bought in January. Now, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because there's a few different factors here. Uh, as much as you're looking for players who have had a quality start to the season, who will be attracting interest from above, uh, you also have to consider the situation that their team is in, uh, potential pricing issues, which can put some teams off in January and various others. I suppose in League One, you, you sort of start with Ivan Tony, don't you? Um, there's a suggestion that there were already championship teams who... Uh, going pretty hard at him uh, in August, trying to sign him. Uh, nothing that he's done since will have put any of those off. Presumably will have attracted even more admirers. Um, but of course, Peterborough are going to be in this this tantalising position, most likely, where they'll be in a, a, a good spot for promotion, certainly for the playoffs, if not more. Uh, and Tony, who is having the most ridiculous season and part of a front three, the likes of which... They probably won't have again, although if any team will, it probably would be posh. Um, If someone's going to offer seven million quid, eight million quid for Tony in January for a club of Peterborough size, that can help them to operate at a higher level for the next three years by more players like Tony, who they'll make more money on and keep moving up the food chain. So the, the question is a fascinating one, hypothetically.
1: I think none of the posh players are leaving Jan. I think that the continued failure of the current owners to get themselves into the championship despite the player trading model means that it would have to be something ridiculous because they know that the value is going to maintain till the summer. I mean, I cannot see, a, and in, barring injury, they're, they're not going to get m- bids of 8 million quid for Ivan Tony in January and then not be able to sell him for that in the summer. And Promotion is so so important to, to hold on to that. When I wrote the piece of the Athletic on on Peterborough and got some quotes from people high up in the club, the the feeling was definitely we're braced for interest but won't be selling. Um, but you are right. I mean they're the they're, they're the players. I mean Tony especially, but they are the players who quite clearly have the quality to make the step up and, and will certainly be, be sought after.
0: Would you be confident in Oxford's ability to, to keep hold of key players like Cameron Brannigan or Tarek Fosu, who might attract some interest from Championship clubs, you know, if someone's offering them yeah, three, four mil for Brannigan? It wouldn't surprise
1: me to see one see of Brannigan or Fosu move on. I think Fosu's only been there for six months um, and given the, the inconsistent nature of his previous form it wouldn't necessarily be a bad idea to cash in um although I'm sure a lot of Oxford fans listening are thinking I'm absolutely m- yeah insane for saying that <laughs> um but it wouldn't surprise me to see Oxford cash in for one player possibly uh, maybe even Rob Dickey given that the Elliot Moore and and John are also in the squad as well um so that's a, a couple of possibilities I mean you're looking at uh, you're looking at players at teams who are going to struggle to match the ambition. So, I mean, Johnson-Clark-Harris is another one. If a championship team is looking for a striker, um, mm. he will definitely be someone who I'm sure his head will be turned very quickly <laughs> if, if someone comes in for them, because it's unlikely that he's going to be able to, to get up to the championship with Bristol Rovers. Um, similarly, I mean, maybe Scott Fraser at Burton is another one who could possibly make the step up as well. Um, in League Two, you're looking at a, a couple of the crew youngsters, but you think they probably want to stay there. It's so difficult in January because... These players are at a premium, and clubs are going to be so loath to selling them. I mean, Mansfield and Plymouth also have squads that you think could be picked off if they're not in better positions. Come, come, Jan.
0: It's, as you say, they're at a premium. It's it's the most expensive a player will be realistically, yeah, because of of their current form but also once you get towards june and july contracts are shorter closer to to their end and you can basically get a better price on players so uh, unless a team is absolutely desperate and desperately needs someone i think it's it's unlikely that we'll see a load of movement um from league one to championship or league two to to league one Uh, ebu adams at, at forest green i'm sure there'll be so many people looking at him uh, as a player that can affect the game in, in both attack and defence from the centre of midfield, such a mobile player. Um, Toure, the, the left wing-back for Salford, he has been catching the eye in what he's been able to do going forward for Salford in the last few weeks. Any team that's playing five at the back or three at the back with wing-backs might be taking a little look at him. Courtney Senior as well at, at Colchester, just probably, I think, clubs in the leagues above will still be asking him to be a little more consistent week to week before they they take the plunge on him. But a player that looks um, absolutely someone who could take the step up if he uh, maintains his form. That's going to be it from us, I think.
1: Scott Fraser's out of contract.
0: Scott Fraser's out of contract.
1: If I was at any championship club, well, not any, but, you know, a championship club, happy to invest in EFL talent, I would certainly be pretty interested in that. 24 24 years of age.
0: Trying to just pay a smaller fee to get him in jam? That's what I mean, Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah interesting um, only 24 Fraser. he plays yeah. like a 35 year old
1: i know and he's you know he's very good at football <laughs> um yeah the last thing i'd say as well another question we had um was if i can find it about the gaps in quality between the leagues yeah
0: between which two divisions chris asks do you believe the biggest golf in quality exists national league to league two league two to league one league one to champ or champ to prem
1: I mean, I'm going to kind of ignore the Champ to Prem one because there's such a big discrepancy between the teams and the Prem. But my answer is League One to Championship. And if you want to find out why, if you want to find out why, um, you're going to have to download um, the Athletic app or just you know sign up for the Athletic um, because I'll be writing a piece this week that goes up on there about the difficulty that teams have making the transition from League One to the Championship, having a proper look at Barnsley and Luton this season. So make sure you do... Download it um, now or just go to www.theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 for our 50% discount. Um, so I'm afraid to say we're putting the answer behind the paywall.
0: International break means no championship football this weekend. League One massively reduced, League Two less so. There will be plenty, I'm sure, to discuss next week.
1: Neil Warnock's just left Cardiff. What? This is yeah live. It's
0: Breaking it's news. Neil
1: Warnock has left Cardiff. Mutual agreement.
0: Wow. We had spoken at the start of the season about given the stage of the career that Warnock is at and given the difficulty, I suppose, in taking a club you've taken up to the Premier League and back down again to maintain that that level of, of, I suppose, uh, intensity or motivation to some extent, whether if things didn't start well, whether Warnock would be the one to sort of see it out or whether he might give up the reins to, to someone who can start a new cycle for this club, and that's what's happened. George, uh, any initial thoughts? Cardiff are 14th in the table. They got 21 points from 16 games, a goal difference of zero. Kind of sums up their season so far. Just very average.
1: Yeah, this is probably the, the most live reaction you're going to get. Um, it's, it's it's a huge appointment, whoever they get in. Um, again, Neil Warnock has done such a good job there that he has lifted the expectation of the club massively. So he's fallen beneath what he would expect. And... You know he probably can't really be asked to to be in a job where they're not going for promotion at, at this time in his career. Interesting that um, the intense Welshman Nathan Jones is on the market. I wonder if it's too big a job for him to take on after the Stoke fiasco. But he is someone who I take me home. I'd quite like to Nathan see. Jones. I'd quite like to see him there. Yeah, I think that could be. I mean, I'm sure it probably won't happen because I mean he'll have to do pretty well in the interview to to, to get at your thought but I'd like to see it.
0: Well, he's got links with the club. He began his career with the youth team at Cardiff City. Uh, he didn't last very long there. In fact, they binned him off and he had to start in basically Welsh non-league but that is an interesting early reaction from George Ellick Nathan Jones to Cardiff. Thoughts, guys? tweet us at ntt20 pod big news as we finish this podcast for those of you who have listened to the end uh, a really nice bit of bonus material <laughs> uh, we'll be back again later on in the week for a betting show and then next weekend next monday after such a reduced fixture list we're going to we'll try and do something a bit different last time we did a full q and a podcast and i wonder if you guys enjoyed that if you did and you'd like us to do that again, um, get in touch, because we're so easily swayed by your opinions. uh, And and basically, we've kind of got a bit of a blank canvas next Monday. So let us know what you'd like to hear from us, uh, and we will endeavour to make the best pod that we can next week. Enjoy your week. We'll speak again on Thursday.